0: So, uh, we're going through Corinthians, and the Corinthians, or the book to the Corinthians, or rather the letter to the Corinthians, is let, written, and it's uh, uh, there are two books, and it's uh, in the New Testament, and we are ten chapters in, and that's where we are. All right. Now, before we, we dive into our text for, for this evening, I want to... I want to tell you the story about a guy called Hudson Taylor. Who's who's aware of Hudson Taylor? Any hands? who knows a bit about Hudson Taylor? Um, some of you guys are. Jan Chris puts his hand up, but he says it's, He used to play wing for the Bulls. No, no. Um, Hudson <clears throat> Hudson Taylor uh, was a missionary who operated in the middle of the 1800s, and a British Baptist missionary, and he had this amazing and massive mission to China. As a matter of fact, the China Inland Mission, at its height, had 800 missionaries that operated in in that part of the world. And what made it significant and unique for the time was the fact that a lot of those missionaries were single women, which was unheard of uh, back then. Hudson Taylor spent 54 years in China and in that time he uh, established 125 schools, 300 mission stations and thousands of, of Chinese people came to faith. But what made him interesting, I think, and I don't think it's coincidental that he was as effective as he was, but what made him interesting is the fact that he immersed himself in the Chinese culture. He really became Chinese, so this was unique for the uh, for the missionaries back then. But he would wear Chinese dress, Chinese clothes, and he cut his hair the Chinese way. I'm not sure if you guys have seen pictures of it, where they have the little ponytail at the back and, and a shaved head mostly. So he had that hairstyle, and I mean, you need to be really committed to the cause to voluntarily do that. And he. Uh, not, not just that, he was able to preach Chinese in Mandarin, Chaozhu, Wu, and in the Ningbo dialects, okay? So, four different dialects in China, he was able to preach the gospel in all of those dialects, as a matter of fact, he translated the New Testament in the Ningbo dialect, and today, You've got lots of Chinese visitors, Chinese tourists, going to England, and they do a pilgrimage of sorts to his hometown of Barnsley, where they, where they visit him. I uh, don't visit him. He's uh, uh, he's passed on, and uh, where they sort of do a, a a tailor a tailor walk, so to speak, a tailor trail. Where they where they look at where's his church, where's his house, etc. Um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Because he's a very beloved figure to many to many Chinese uh, people, and um, and he really became Chinese in order to save the Chinese. He really immersed himself in the culture. He really transformed and. Uh, I I think there's a passage that he really made his own, and it's a passage that we actually looked at last week, but I want to read it in any case. This is from 1 Corinthians 9, uh, from verses 19. He says, For though I am free from all, this is Paul speaking, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, and to the, uh, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I, by all means, might save them. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings." Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable prize, but we an imperishable prize. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified." Now this is a passage that is actually very dear to dialogue because in this community we really love to engage some of the bigger questions we have movie clubs and we watch all sorts of obscure uh, movies that people don't necessarily associate with with the church and and we analyze it and we think that the gospel can can even and perhaps even often come through Hollywood movies likewise, um, we are excited about pop culture and we like to engage it. We've got a debate on Islam next week. We had a debate on, transgender, uh, on John transgenderism just a few weeks ago. We are constantly trying to figure out philosophically or just to engage the culture where people are at. And I think Hudson Taylor would commend us for it, Paul would commend us for it, and Jesus would commend us for it but paul then immediately changes gears he says become all things to all people for the jews i became a jew for the slave i became a slave transform for the sake of the gospel do it and then he changes gears and it comes with a stern warning and we read this in first corinthians 10 from verses 1 onwards for i want you to know brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed, lest he fall." Now, it's a little bit obscure, but let me try and unpack it. Paul starts off with become all things to all people, and then he uses an athletics analogy. You guys heard that in the first section that we read. The, the athlete that trains. Now that is a distinctly Greek metaphor. The Greeks understood athletics. The, the Jews were not major athletes at, at all. The Greeks were the ones who would do it naked and you can visit their arenas to this day. They were very passionate about uh, their, their athletics. As a matter of fact, that's why I think in uh, in, in the year 2000, Ricky, you can maybe correct me, but in the year 2000, I think the Olympic Games were held in Greece, in, 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 in Athens, and it was to commemorate, I think, like where it started 2000 years ago, something like that. So, so the Greeks were passionate about it, so Paul uses this analogy again. He is immersing himself in this Greek culture that the Corinthians find themselves in. But then he goes over to a Jewish met- metaphor, And he talks about these various scenes in the Exodus story where the Israelites messed it up over and over again. And he's saying, I want you to learn from this. Now, at first there's something strange going on. He says, just as the Israelites were baptized in the sea, just as they drank the spiritual drink, just as they they ate the spiritual food, what is he on about? What is going on there? So he's, he's obviously playing a little bit with the Old Testament text. He's, 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 he's doing something with a, with a purpose, and, that is, and, and this is it. He is saying that when the Israelites were saved from, from Egypt and they moved through the sea, that served as their baptism of sorts. That is where Israel became God's people because of this saving act that God, uh, that, that God did. They were baptized. They went through the river. On this side of the river is slavery. On the other side of the river, the, the river is the promise of the promised land. There's still a lot of desert there, but you're on your way to the promised land, okay? But because you're on the desert on the other side, you also need to be sustained. So how are you sustained? Although the baptism going through the river is a once-off event, there were other events that happened regularly, and that is they didn't have anything to eat, so God uh, uh, sent manna to, to eat. This spiritual food, manna, by the way, was a type of bread, as you guys should know. And the name manna is just a direct Hebrew translation for the words, what is this? What is this? The the Jews looked at it and they said, what is this? And they started eating, what is this? So, so they word for manna, They word for that kind of bread is, is literally the question, what is this? So they started eating what is this, with more what is this, and then later on they got very fed up with what is this, and then, then God sent, um, uh, sent meat, and uh, there was water that came out of a rock. So you, all, you, you had these spiritual um, ways of being sustained in the desert. Now. Now, Paul is saying, when they went through the, the sea, it was like a baptism. And when they ate the spiritual food and the spiritual drink in the, uh, in the desert, it was like the Eucharist. They were being sustained by these sacraments. But then he says, just notice that even though that happened, many of the Israelites did not live in accordance with this reality. They didn't live out the salvation that they've been given. And now he's trying to make a specific point to the Corinthians. He's trying to make a specific point to the Praetorians as well. And that is, you might have been baptized. You might have grown up in the church. You might might have taken part in the Eucharist, in the life of the church, sure. But be careful lest you fall don't think that this is some sort of automatic inclusion into the promised land, and that's it. No, no, no. You have to live out the privilege of that salvation that you've experienced. With great, uh, with, with, with great um, hmm, privilege, I know that's not quite the Spider-Man line, but with great privilege comes great responsibility you've been given this privilege to, to enter the, the saving work of, of Christ to be the recipient of that now live accordingly now i realize that this is a bit of a hmm, uh, this is a bit of a thorny issue and i don't want i don't actually want us to just hover here and, and and remain here for the entire evening but there is a massive debate that, that happens in theology and theological circles all over the place and it's, it's the, the, the question of election and uh, does God choose certain people or not? Now look, we've got people who, who falls on different sides of that debate and and tonight is not necessarily the place where we're going to have it. but what this text at least is I think saying, is that corporately Israel, it was chosen. And although they were corporately chosen, individuals within that nation fell away. Likewise, the church is corporately chosen. We are the new Israel. We are the elect. But you've got individuals within that corporate body that can fall away, and indeed it does fall away. So there's a responsibility. now. I mean, if I've lost you now, just, just come back and uh, be gracious. But the point is, don't think that there's this automatic inclusion. Don't think <clears throat> that once you've done those things that there's a barcode that is scanning to your shoulder and everything is, is okay. Take heed, lest ye fall. Now Paul gives four examples of falling. He gives four examples of falling from the Exodus narrative, and it's not coincidental. He picked these four examples very, uh, I want to say, loosely and perhaps even randomly from the Exodus story, but he chose those examples because those were the things that the Corinthians were struggling with as well. So he's trying to make the the, the point to the Corinthians that they are struggling with by pointing to the very stuff that the the Israelites uh, struggled with and um, where they fell. And they are idolatry, immorality, testing God and grumbling idolatry immorality testing God and grumbling let's let's start with idolatry now every time the Israelites came in contact with pagan cultures along the way to the promised land it almost always ended in some form of idol worship and you will you will have uh, um, e- e- sometimes even well-meaning, dare I say that, but they almost always stray from this project that God has started them. God has started them on. Now, I want to just take a step back and say this: with the Hudson Taylor example that we've been given earlier, and now trying to f- to figure out what did Israel do wrong, what did the Corinthians do wrong, what are we doing wrong? We are allowed, we are, as a matter of fact, even urged to really embrace the culture around us, because a lot of it is God-given. We are supposed to reflect something of it. We are supposed to immerse ourselves in it. We are not supposed to have this little Christian subculture, like a, a, a massive living estate, but instead of 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 having rich people there, you just have Christians there. That is that is not what we are called to do. With five kum bookshops in there, uh, we are not called to to have that little enclave. No, no, no. We are called to be in this culture. It is okay if we dress like everybody else in this culture. I just came back from Europe, and I can spot a South African from a mile away. You know how? Kway. If you, if they're wearing a kway jacket or a kway something like south african south african like um we are not very good spies anyways so so we are we, we are asked to do those things we, we are asked to buy k-way merchandise now we, we we can freely interact with the culture around us but we are not allowed to partake in the sacraments of the culture around us we can engage in the clothing we can engage in the sports Ugh. Difficult example, so, so, so quick after the tragedy, we can engage in the movies, the music, we can, we can do all these things, but when it comes to the sacraments around us, of the culture around us, take heed lest ye fall. So this is the tension, become all things to all people, Paul is saying become a Jew, become a Greek, become a slave, just, just, just be something else. If, if, that, if, if those are the people that you are called to, transform into that. But now he's saying, but do not fall into idolatry. <clears throat> what does idolatry look like today for us? Because I promise you that, that you guys are sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, I guess they are people who struggle with idolatry. They are probably living in some sort of rural setting um, and they struggle with idolatry. Or, or or maybe in the Far East they bow down to Buddha statues. Yeah, they struggle with idolatry. But that is something that we've got down here in in, in South Africa. It's not necessarily something that we that we struggle with. But here's here's a question. If you went into, you can, if you still go to like a, a small town in the, in the countryside, what is the first thing that you see when you, when you drive into that town? The church. The church. Usually, the okay. So, a Dutch reformed church sitting neatly in the middle, and it is usually <coughs> the case that the whole church is sort of built around it. You have these, these streets, and around round street sometimes, around the church, and then it's right in the middle of the, of the town, and everything sort of goes out from it. And one thing that is interesting <clears throat> is that if you grew up in that town, you probably went to that church, and you would go to that church, and you would learn about the good life. You would learn how to live in this life and maybe not so much in our uber reformed churches but definitely in the anglican tradition lutheran tradition catholic tradition you would go to these churches in the middle of the town and you would see the stained glass windows and you would see these wonderful depictions of jesus feeding the multitude or dying on the cross or some version of sacrifice some version of prayer some version of community are you guys with me you would go there and you would engage with that sunday after sunday and and perhaps more and engage with that and that will nourish you there will be someone who would read something from the life of jesus and one would reflect on on that together it would you would have all of these icons that is, that, that's constantly trying to persuade you to transform your life. And saying, this is what the good life is all about. So now what I want you to do is I want you to go out. Go outside and take something of this good life with you as you go away. Alright? That is at least how I envision this, this act of worship, the church in the center of the town, and how it... It was aimed to evangelize the town, sustain the town, so to speak. Today, if you drive into a city, what is the first thing you see? It's not the church, the malls, the malls, next to a mall, so you've got malls all over the place. And when you go into those malls, <clears throat> what I always find so interesting is that you have all these icons, left and right, usually very attractive half-naked people on, 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 on either side, and they are inviting you into the good life. Wear this, buy this. Not only do you have those icons, but you've got the windows of all of these stores, and in those windows there are adverts or some of their merchandise saying, this toaster is what the good life looks like. It's pronounced smeg. Uh, or you, you go to the next place. This is the the type of shoe people are wearing now. This is the latest forever new dress that will be forever new. And and so you you you, you walk down this, this aisle of worship. Just just bear with this analogy. And it's almost liturgical of sorts. Um, Where you you go to this thing that is the center of the town, and um, you are presented with the good life, with all of these icons, with all of these things on either side of you. And then you have to go in there, and you have to sacrifice. You have to pay. You have to buy something. all right, And then you get to take something of the good life with you, and that sustains you in the life here, um, away from the sanctuary, away from the mall. But then sooner rather than later, you're going to feel empty again and you have to go back to that sanctuary because you need to be sustained again. There's a reason why they call it retail what? Therapy. Retail therapy. Because people feel good. They, uh, when, when you're in a church and we talk about the life of Jesus, we are supposed to think, yeah, I want that. I want something of that. When you're in a mall, the, what they want you to, to, to think is, you need this. And you walk around there and you think, I want something of that. I want something of that. And, and, and that more and more and more, I will be sustained by it. So it is this consumerist liturgy of sorts. I can see I didn't convince all of you. But do you guys at least follow the argument? All right. I, uh, two weeks ago, I, I came back from Germany. We, we did a tour And... There was something that, 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 that I saw, that I, it, it's, 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 it's such an interesting phenomenon. So I, I was in Germany at the end of Pride Month, and, and what I found so bizarre was, was the fact that everywhere, and I'm not saying one or two places, I'm not saying discreetly, I'm saying rainbow flags, everywhere there's not an apartment block there's not a business there's not a shop there's not an office block there's not a school there's not a church there is not a dentist not nobody even the hobos have their rainbow flags um over there it is everywhere you can't turn your head and not see it now friends i am not trying to say that people who are trying to shed light and to celebrate the, the rights of all the people on the LGBTQI plus spectrum that that is necessarily wrong. I think we should be, uh, we, we should be loving to, uh, to to people regardless of their sexual identity. So please hear me when I say that. But what I did think, however, is that walking around in this very secular place called Europe, I saw a new religion emerging. And it's actually not that new, it's been there for a while. And when you go into a shop, you've got this rainbow flag that covers the doorpost of the shop. And I thought, oh man, we're back in Egypt again, aren't we? If you want to be saved, then what do you in In, 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 in the Passover days, you had to have the blood of the lamb on top of your door, doorpost. Now you need to have the rainbow flag on top of your doorpost um, in order to show that you are one of the good guys, you are one of the uh, anti-bigots, so to speak. And maybe maybe I'm pushing it, but the other thing that I saw that I found so interesting, so revealing, is that it was not enough to just have the rainbow flags hanging around from all places they had various sentences on the rainbow flag, sometimes very difficult to read, but and, and, it, and it differed depending on which block you visited or where you were, but they would list on the rainbow flag all the things that they believe in, so for example they would say um, queer lives matter, they would say um, say no to ableism, as in we need to uh, shed more awareness on on the disabled and the life that they that they experience, um, and then they would say say no to patriarchy. Feminism is real, and they would even have lines about um, um, the science is clear. They would have all of these one-liners. Black lives matter, and they would they would list just loads of the the, the various. Uh, social justice movements that we've sort of engaged with remotely over the last uh, few few years, and it differs from flag to flag. And it occurred to me that's the statement of faith. This church has a statement of faith. You can go look at it on the website. And all of these guys, they've got different statements of of faith. And I, I I've I've been I. I, I <laughs> I've seen pictures, I haven't seen it uh, in person, but I've seen pictures of the American South. They're in the Bible Belt. And apparently, when you drive past the churches, they've got their statement of faith, but it is very peculiar and esoteric what it is. So they would say, we are premillennialists, Calvinists, Second Conference, uh, Southern Baptists, um, uh, infant baptism with you, you know all of these like very important thing this is how we use we use little communion cups not the, well, you know just just everything that they believe <clears throat> and you can go through their list uh, bu, 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 oh, no ways heathens and then you can go to the next one and say oh yeah maybe ah oh, <laughs> that was cl- close call I almost burnt in hell and then you can you can go to the next lesson then you can find something that you are comfortable with and And it occurred to me that in secular Europe, we are in the Bible belt of sorts, with all of these statements of faith. Now, friends, I'm I'm not saying that to trivialize a difficult issue. I'm not saying it to score easy points to say, oh, look how stupid those people are. But what I am saying is that you don't really have the choice between whether you want to be religious or not religious you only get to choose your religion that's it and what we what i think we are seeing in the west is just the emergence of a new sanctuary a new creed a new priesthood a new uh, evangelism coming up it's just a different religion all right now Friends, I didn't read this passage, but I, I want to read it now. And, and that, is, that is verses 19. Now, I'm just going to read it, and I'll explain it after. What do I imply, then, that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now, what is? going on there. We might think that idolatry is not our problem. We have been saved from idolatry. Maybe it's something that our ancestors struggled with, but it is not something that we struggled with. And and we might also think, yeah, look, I I, I struggle a little bit, but you know, I splash a little bit on myself. It's like a little guilty pleasure. Um, or, ah, you know, I I might be, uh, uh, I I I might dabble in, in something like that. So we will use little euphemisms to to describe these things. But in the biblical imagination, you might think that you are just splashing on yourself, and you are maybe just uh, you you like the high life just a little bit too much. But it very quickly becomes goes out of control and then sooner rather than later it feels like there is a force involved that is beyond your control now remember the steinhoff uh, incidents we've got a few stellen bushes here i mean you guys gave us um all of the uh, all of the mafia really and and the the, the steinhoff guys good businessmen. it seemed like and they were doing and and if you if you hear just a little bit of what happened on the inside it's just more 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 by then those guys had so many houses on so many golf estates so many horses running in so many durban julys i mean what do you want more and many of those people will tell you that it starts off by let's just run a good business and it it, 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 it is then a force that drives it that I don't think you can just describe in psychological terms. What about the sexual? You might start with just a little bit of porn that you watch on your phone or, um, or, 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 or maybe something that is not even classified as porn these days. And then when you talk to somebody in the church who is addicted, what do they say? Say, so I do not have a control anymore. Please take my phone. Please block all my apps so that that doesn't happen to me. Please phone me every night when I'm prone to do that. Why do you do that? Because there's a force that has taken over. I'm no, I'm no demonologist, and I'm very suspicious of anybody who describes the demons in details, uh, in detail, or whatever. But what I am saying is that they are, and, and this is what Paul is saying rather. That there are forces that shadowy forces we don't know much about it but it seems that if we if we give ourselves over to things that we think are just dead objects there is a force that takes us to places that we didn't imagine we could ever go same is true for war what is the the special military operation in the ukraine <laughs> okay that's a full-scale war right think of of somebody like Adolf Hitler who said that he needed Lebensraum for his people. The Germans just just needs a little bit of space, man. Um, Okay, Austria, we've got that now, good. Um, Czechoslovakia, okay, we've got that now. (laughs) I'm afraid we're going to need Poland as well. Um, Russia, Russia, we're going to need Russia, Lebensraum, more, more, more. And after a while, you are not in control, it's Aries. That is in control. It's Aphrodite that's in control. It is, uh, you know, named a god. So, idolatry, my friends, is still very much something that we struggle with. That's the first warning. The second one is immorality. Do not be as immoral. Remember, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. <clears throat> Do not practice the same sort of immorality that. The people who God just saved from Egypt that they practiced soon after. Don't do that. Now, in verse 7 we read, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality. Now when you read that, it sounds kind of innocent. Maybe they just drank a little bit too much. They ate. That's fine. It seems like a party. And they got up and they played. You know? Maybe they played cards, maybe snap, I don't know. But uh, that play is uh, the, the word, the, the Hebrew word, let me just get it here, um, chakek. Now, I'm, I'm no Hebrew scholar, so somewhere online there's probably a guy who's got Hebrew and says, oh, that guy's such an idiot, and, and it's true. But that, that word is, has, has a very strong erotic undertone, all right? They played. They rose up to play. So, for example, in the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, then then Potiphar's wife accuses him of, um, he played with me. And for some reason, in in this ESV translation, it is translated as, he laughed at me. But that that doesn't make a lot of sense. There's an erotic undertone here That's, that's, that's going on. Anyways, now... Now you've got the playing that's happening. I I shouldn't even use this analogy, but I've already started. Now uh, there's a lot of adult stores that that is promoting themselves all over the place, and I, it, it just occurred to me when they say "come and play," <laughs> that's 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 the advertisement. Come and play. Huh. Maybe they know something about the. Uh, the, the, the root of the word play. The Israelites played with the Moabite women, and, and it, it brings up the question of how much should we associate with a different culture. So what happened is as soon as they came into contact with these other cultures, these other cultures just had a completely different sexual ethic than the Israelites, and they capitulated and became just like them. Now, here's the thing, how that relates to us today. I, I've, I've said this plenty of times, but I am not very fond of our Christian subculture. I don't like the music that comes from it necessarily. I definitely do not like the the, the movies that 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 comes from it. So I'm not a big fan of what is considered Christian movies or Christian music or I don't know Christian uh, coffee uh, uh, stories, blah blah blah. But But when I engage with secular work, when I engage with mainstream Hollywood movies, mainstream Hollywood everything, I need to remind myself that sex is not that cheap. So, I'm not sure if you guys have seen it, but uh, I grew up with with, uh, Friends. As a matter of fact, I'm so old that, that when I watched Friends, all the seasons weren't out yet. All right. So you, you still had to wait for season seven and season eight. I know that's it's, it's terrible. And what I find interesting now is I see a lot of kids wearing friends shirts. If you guys see it like teenagers and even younger friends. Now, I think that sitcom is brilliantly written. It is brilliant and it doesn't age at all. It is phenomenal. All right. But a massive part of the plot is Joey has a lot of sex, Ross has some sex, Chandler has, does, doesn't have any sex. And there are lots of jokes surrounding the lots of sex and lack of sex. And when I expose myself to the culture around me, which is not a problem, I need to be weary, I need to remind myself it's not that cheap, it's not that casual, it's not that innocent. It's not that cheap, it's not that casual, it's not that innocent. Are you guys with me? So I'm not saying that we must just cut it off and um, become these hermits that uh, you know, just, just watch the Jesus movie on repeat, but, but we need to be careful lest we fall, because we can easily become desensitized. Maybe the sexual is not the, not the thing that, uh, that, that triggers you. Maybe it is violence. Uh, maybe it is opulence. Maybe there's something else in the media that we consume that you need to be careful in consuming it, that you need to question, that you need to analyze. All right. So this is this is immorality. And and I, I, I think one of the things that we need to that we need to realise is that More often than not, the church looks exactly the same as the people outside of the church. I don't think a lot of people would be able to distinguish the Christians from the non-Christians. Because we've definitely swallowed a big part of the culture around us. And to our own detriment, to our own shame. The third one is this putting the Lord to the test. Now, I'm not going to go into it too much, but the, the Corinthians were constantly focusing on their freedoms and their rights, and they were always standing on their freedoms, and they were always standing on their rights, and it's something that they held dear, and they justified a lot of things with this freedom, but they were in the process testing God and just falling back into paganism. Do not put the Lord to the test. The last one that Paul uses in chapter 10 is grumbling. Grumbling. Now here's the thing. Grumbling is most most Christians, most good old Christians would say, yes, immorality big problem. Yes, idolatry big problem. Putting the law to the test big problem. Grumbling. Hmm. Grumbling. Because that is a national pastime. It is something that every church does very well. Oh, I can't believe what they are wearing. Oh, they haven't been here for a while, have they? Um, I mean, there's a a fine line between grumbling and gossiping, I, I guess. But that grumbling mood is something that you are unfortunately going to find in the church. You are unfortunately going to find it in this church as well. And Paul says, be careful lest ye fall. Now, the grumbling that Paul was probably going on about was the fact that uh, they were grumbling about him and they were grumbling about each other. So there were lots of factional fights within the Corinthian, Corinthian church and we need to be careful not to fall into that trap. Sure. But I want to push it just a little bit further. As South Africans we are very good grumblers. We grumble and there's quite a bit to grumble about. Whether it is the Potholes, whether it is Eskom, Uh, Whether it is government or crime or whatever, there's, there's a bit to grumble about. But I do not think that you are going to find a different level of grumbling about the country inside the church than outside the church. I think if you do that study, you're going to find equal amounts of grumbling. Equal amounts of joylessness. And that's a shame. Our light is not shining. We are supposed to not allow the culture to evangelize us. We need to evangelize the culture. And you can easily you know, be on your high horse and talk about, oh, kids today are so immoral. Oh, they are also just always just running after these things and these things and these things. Just know, when you grumble about the country and about everything, you are on a very problematic list. Paul has included you on a list alongside the immoral idolatrous, putting the Lord to the test. One of the ways, I think, in South Africa, that Christians can shine their light the most is if they… I'm not saying you should be naive, I'm not saying you should be sentimental, but we should be joyful and we should stop grumbling. And when we interact in those conversations, which is all around us, to just be a different presence, a non-anxious presence, a joyful presence, and try and interrupt the grumbling that we, that we encounter all around us. I hope you guys understand the, the argument that Paul is following throughout the passage, and that is That the Israelites, even though they experienced so much salvation, even though they tasted something of what we can in retrospect say is the gospel, they did not live in light of it. The Corinthians, even though they tasted something of the gospel, they didn't live in light of it. And the same question is put before us this evening. So you're in the life of the church perhaps you've been baptized you take part in the eucharist you pray together you experience something of the fellowship are we living in light of that that is the question let's pray lord jesus we repent We realize that even though you've given us salvation, and even though we have encountered, sometimes not purely, but we've all encountered something of your gospel and the wonderful offer of forgiveness and grace, we are constantly not living in light of that. We are not resembling that reality. We are resembling perhaps the economic and political reality in this country we are perhaps not revealing and living out the reality of the gospel but we are living out the 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 the, the sexual morality or the financial consumerist morality that we find around us we do not live lives that is aligned and transformed by your icons You on the cross, you pouring yourself out for humanity, you loving your enemies, you helping the poor, having deep compassion, we are not being transformed into that. The icons that we are looking at are just selling us different things. Oh Jesus, we spend so much time on our devices and we are we are constantly consuming so much and that's not necessarily a bad thing we do not want to live in a narrow type of dualism where the world is bad and we are good because we know that is not that is not true that is not how you created it inasmuch as this culture and this world is created it is good because it comes from you but like all things it has gone astray it is out of step so help us, Lord. Give us the discernment to know here we can engage, here we must flee. Here we can enjoy, here we must retreat. And Lord, it is impossible to do those things by ourselves, and that's why we, why we need your guidance. And that's why we need a community that can hold each other accountable. That's why we need to come together, Lord. Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, quiet time after quiet time and reflect on the good life, the life of Jesus. And we need to choose the life of Jesus daily versus the various idolatrous lives that's sold on the marketplace. But Jesus, thank you that we can reflect uh, on our salvation. You did save us from slavery. You did take us through the Red Sea, and you are sustaining us in the desert. Help us to live in light of that, and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.